Welcome to episode three of my podcast. Today's topic is on discovering truth. I'm Pam Christian, your host for the next several minutes. This show is called Faith to Live By, where we learn how to gain spiritual victory over life's issues. If this is your first time to listen in, you may want to know this is a place where I seek to help us as charismatics to balance our enthusiasm for spiritual experiences with a deeper understanding and application of scriptures. At the same time, I want to help those who emphasize intellectualism understand the application of the supernatural gifts. The first two programs in this Faith to Live By podcast explored faith. The Bible is clear. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Hebrews 11.6 Faith and truth are highly dependent upon one another, which is why I explored some aspects of truth in the first two podcasts. However, with this and the next podcast, I want to go deeper into a proper understanding of truth and how we discover truth. As I shared before, when I travel and speak, one of the questions I like to ask my audience is this, who in this room wants to live your life on the basis of a lie? No one ever raises their hand to that question. This simple question reveals a great deal about humanity. It reveals actually three things that are very important. The first thing is, we universally agree we prefer truth over a lie. The second revelation in response to the question is that we universally agree truth is better or good and lies are bad. Number three, the reality for us then is we universally have an innate moral compass enabling us to determine what is good and what is bad. In future programs, we'll explore the evidence of human beings being born with a moral conscience, which I think you'll really enjoy, especially in light of the claims other people make about evolution. But for this program, let's continue our discussion about the discovery of truth. In review, the three proof tests I shared in programs one and two that allow us to confidently know a matter is true are, one, truth always lines up with reality. Number two, Only one thing can be true and all opposing matters are false. Number three, whatever is true in one part of the world is true anywhere else because truth is universal. These three proof tests allow us to know with confidence if a matter is true or not. We have a lot of people who claim truth is relative. They say what is true for you is your truth and what is true for me is mine, even if our personal truth claims are completely at odds. With understanding that only one thing can be true and all opposing matters are false, how do we lovingly have dialogue with a person who is adamant about their claims of what they believe to be true, even if it does not line up with reality? Well, an example I've often used is to say this. No matter how much I claim I'm 25 years old and I'm at my ideal weight, reality proves otherwise. Understand, people tend to claim a matter as truth based on what they want to be true. So before we can help lead a person into the whole truth and an accurate truth, we need to have understanding of their motivation for why they want to claim certain matters to be true. Most of us have been taught about truth from our parents or grandparents, teachers, and other adults in position of influence and trust in our lives. While I believe no loving influencer would intentionally teach a child lies, they could easily inadvertently teach lies. Remember, the nature of deception is the victim is unaware of their condition, so the only way for deception to be realized is for it to be confronted. 
as in the story of my life, which I shared with the first episode. It was a personal life crisis that caused me to realize everything I had believed was based on lies. The faith I had developed and believed would not sustain me. It failed me because it was not based on truth, at least not the whole truth. And when there's any measure of lies mixed with truth, what is believed to be true is rendered faulty. Considering we are all taught truth from people we esteem, admire, and trust, for us to even consider to examine what we believe, what they taught us, can feel like an assault or an affront to those we trusted. It can be very uncomfortable, and it can even seem dishonoring to examine the truth we were taught. And I understand this. And when I'm attempting to help others examine what they believe, I share my understanding, my compassion for the discomfort that comes with reconsidering what we believe to be true. I respectfully go slow, and I invite them to take their time as well. At the same time, I want to help them realize what we believe to be true today will directly impact our lives tomorrow. Additionally, most of us believe our human reality is made up in three parts, body, soul, and spirit. Even people from religions outside of Christianity agree we are made in these three parts. Not all agree, but in my experience, I've found the vast majority of people do believe we are made body, soul, and spirit. So a good way to convince a person of the importance of reconsidering what they believe to be true is to consider the impact our beliefs have on us for eternity. Our bodies are physical, functioning flesh and blood that house our souls and our spirit. Our bodies are the vessel through which we operate in this natural world. Our soul is the unique essence of the individual comprised of our heart, mind, and distinct personality. Our mind includes our will and our intellect. Our soul is that part of us, our personality, that will make us recognizable in heaven. Our spirit is the part of us that allows us to communicate spirit to spirit, that is, to communicate with beings that are not of this natural world. Our bodies are temporal and will cease to exist at some point. However, our soul and spirit are eternal. Our bodies age and decline with time, whereas our soul and spirit are ageless and can increase or improve over time. Whatever we feed on will either be beneficial or detrimental to us. This is true for our body, our soul, and our spirit. Whatever we feed upon will either be beneficial or detrimental. We universally agree that truth is good and lies are bad, so being intentional to assure we consume what is good for the health and well-being of our body, soul, and spirit should be our conscious aim. Unfortunately, because we live in a fallen world where sin and evil coexist with holiness and righteousness, we are subjected to both realities at all times. I think we'd all agree sin is evil and detrimental, whereas holiness and righteousness are beneficial. No one wants to live on the basis of a lie. Neither does anyone want to consume anything that would be detrimental. But I say unless we intentionally examine what we believe and why we believe it, we can easily be believing a lie and not realize it. Again, the very nature of deception means the victim is unaware of their condition. Every day we live on this earth with the existence of sin and evil, we will encounter ideals, philosophies, and more that are based on sin and lies. Simply driving down a highway and observing billboards, we can subliminally accept messages that are detrimental. An example is a billboard that promotes what's often called a quote-unquote gentleman's club. 
The strategic use of language, the specific choice of words, can make a matter less offensive and even embraceable to our minds. This subliminal appeal can draw us into temptation to explore the club, which becomes the first step into the alluring trap of the enemy. The devil is smart. Just as we read about in Genesis, he did not make an outright counterclaim to the instructions God gave Adam and Eve. No, he couched his words carefully to bypass rational thought and appeal to their carnal nature. Consider your own life. I'm sure you can think of times when a matter was presented in such an appealing way that you quickly decided it was not bad and therefore acceptable to explore. Well, I know I can think of several times in my life where I was deceived in this manner. This is why I say it's vital for us to examine what we believe and why we believe it to be certain we are not deceived. We need to feed our soul and spirit properly so we can quickly discern truth and deception. With the common human belief that our souls and spirits are eternal and what we believe in this life impacts where and how we will spend eternity, it logically flows that we must examine what we believe to be true because it has eternal ramifications. Even so, it can still be daunting to examine what we believe to be true. Likewise, it's difficult to discover truth because the enemy has had centuries of constructing counterfeits. If in the process of examination we discover we have believed something that's false, then we are shaken to the core. How can we have been duped? Did those we trust lie to us? And if we discover what we believe has been based on lies, we feel anxious and fearful, wanting to quickly find the truth that we need. Well, let's break it down so we can find the courage to examine what we believe. In one way, we are no different from Adam and Eve. We are subject to our carnal appetites. We deal with the pride of life, which is to be our own God or in charge of our own life. We deal with the lust of the eye and the lust of the flesh. Anything that appeals to these natures seems good to us. Where we are different from Adam and Eve is that they were created without sin. They were holy. Even so, the enemy of God enticed them by appealing to their natural appetites. We, on the other hand, as offspring of Adam and Eve, have been born with a sin nature. We are not holy. Once Adam and Eve rejected God's instructions for their lives and chose their own course of action, the course of destiny for the entire human race was sealed. Every human being born ever since Adam and Eve have inherited a naturally dead, sinful condition. That is, our spirit inside us is dead. This means it's much easier for the enemy to keep us bound in his world of lies and deception because it's consistent with our natural nature. This is how we can be duped. Some have expressed disdain for Adam and Eve for bringing sin upon all of creation. But think about it. They were holy, yet in their holy state, the enemy was still able to deceive them. How crafty is the enemy? And now that we are born with the sin nature, how much easier it is for the enemy to deceive us. Did those we trust lie to us? I'm willing to bet they did not do so intentionally. They were imparting truth as they understood it. And being human, it's possible that they were deceived and passed on instructions that were not entirely based on truth. If we discover what we've believed has been based on lies, we are shaken to our core. I know, I experienced that. So because of this potential, many people choose not to examine what they believe. They would rather remain in their present condition than experience the pain and discomfort that's likely to come with examining their beliefs. This, by the way, is referred to as willful ignorance in the Bible and is also identified as sin.
Romans chapter 1 verses 19 and 20 reads, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. The Apostle Paul explains in this passage that the existence of God and his goodness, who himself is all truth, his qualities and reality are visible simply by observing creation. Therefore, no man has an excuse for not discovering truth. Remember, the Bible refers to the enemy of God, known as Satan, as the father of all lies. Considering all of this, then, it is vital to find the courage to examine what we believe, even with the risk that we might discover a truth different than what we've been taught, and that could put us at odds with those we love. We must find the courage to examine what we believe, because what we believe to be true in this life determines how we will spend eternity. If you just joined us, I'm Pam Christian, the host of this podcast known as Faith to Live By. I seek to help us all gain spiritual victory over life's realities, and today we're talking about discovering truth. As charismatics, we believe that God's supernatural gifts, as demonstrated by Jesus and his disciples, are available for us today. But there are non-charismatics who believe the gifts faded out with the death of the eyewitness disciples of Jesus Christ. As an apologist, I've sought to explore the availability of God's supernatural gifts in a way to help those who reject their availability so that they could reconsider what they believe to be true. You know, there are many highly educated men and women in positions of prominence and influence who are adamant that the gifts are not available today. The second book in my series, also called Faith to Live By, is Renew Your Hope, Remedy for God's Personal Breakthroughs. And this is the book that you'll want to read if you're on the fence about the gifts for today or if you know someone who is believing that the gifts are no longer available. It's also the book you'll want if you need to be better convinced and free of doubt so the Holy Spirit can work supernaturally through you. Jesus himself was limited by unbelief or people believing something that wasn't true. And this hindered him from being the vessel of the Holy Spirit to be able to perform miracles in his own hometown. We can read about that in Matthew 13, 58. Again, what we believe as truth has tremendous bearing on our lives today and in eternity. We need to understand discovering truth is a process. It's not something we do once and then we have it down. As we live and experience more life on earth, we are exposed to more philosophies, ideals, and truth claims. We need to develop the tools that allow us to discern if a matter is true or not on an ongoing basis. Not one of us likes to be lied to. Not even a pathological liar likes to be lied to. I'm exceedingly grateful for this reality because it allows us, even in our natural sin-born fallen nature, to seek the truth, believing it is better than lies. We have an innate desire to discover truth because we innately believe it's better than lies. Even in our fallen state, there's a moral compass within that drives us to want to live our life on the basis of truth. This reality is a divine gift of God and yet another demonstration of his love for us and his desire that all would come to truth and everlasting life and that no one would perish. Explaining it this way makes it seem like we will all discover and all choose life-giving truth. Sadly, all won't. 
there are those who, even with all the evidence of God through creation, the historical evidence of Jesus being who he claimed to be, the miraculous works of God to heal the sick, restore the brokenhearted, provide for the orphans, and the eyewitness testimony as to the truth and the goodness of God, even with all this evidence, some will still reject God. They will choose what they think is their own and better way, only to ultimately discover it's the way of Satan. The truth is, God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5 verse 8. Most of you know God loves all humanity extensively, even to the point of personally paying the debt of sin once and for all by the Son, Jesus, laying aside his deity, taking on human form, living the human existence without ever sinning, making him the only suitable sacrifice to satisfy the penalty of sin. Sin simply means to reject God. Understand, God does not love in mass. He loves each one of us individually and uniquely, and he desires a distinct relationship with each and every one of us. No two human beings are alike. Each of us is unique, yet each of us being made in God's image reflect yet another depiction of God. How vast is God? Jesus' sacrifice was made once and for all of us individually. Just as sin entered the world through one man, Adam, who rejected God, so was sin eradicated out of the world through one man, Jesus. God's offer to us is to enter the truth of his love and redemption from sin and all it imposes through first knowing the truth and secondly by acting on that truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me, John 14, 6. And only those who come to know the truth will be set free, John 8, 32. This is what we're talking about today, a real understanding of what it is to discover truth. But we need to also understand this knowledge of truth is not merely a mental or intellectual assent. James 2.19 reveals that even the devil knows who Jesus is and shudders. The devil has a mental and intellectual awareness of who Jesus is, yet he willfully rejects Jesus as Lord. And so it is, there will be some people who reject Jesus as their Lord. When Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free, the word for know was the Greek word genosko, G-I-N-O-S-K-O. In this usage, genosko is a verb. It's a present tense continual action of knowing. It is to know, recognize, and understand completely without reservation. To have a complete and absolute understanding, basically to be convinced. However, we must not take verses out of context. In context, we must consider also verse 31, which instructs us to abide in Jesus' words, meaning to continue believing all of what Jesus has said and continue walking in obedience to him. The Greek word genosko is a verb demanding action. For anyone to know the truth and be set free, we must be convinced of who Jesus was and is and demonstrate our knowledge by placing our faith in him to receive all the promises he has given, which includes being set free from the law of sin and death. To know the truth that Jesus is Savior is to believe. To then commit to remaining obedient to him and his teachings is to confess Jesus as Lord. Several times in scripture this is referred to as believing and receiving believing Jesus as who he said he was and demonstrated himself to be, and receiving him as Lord. 
There will be some who are never convinced that Jesus is who he claimed to be and who he demonstrated himself to be. This, however, is an act of their willful choice to believe or not. Some people take considerable exception to this and claim offense. They say, if God loves the whole world, why would he allow anyone to spend an eternity in hell? Some even go so far as to say, if God allows people to go to hell, then he must not be a good and loving God. These people are deceived and they understand only a partial truth. The whole truth is, God does love each and every one of us. God does want each and every one of us to come to the saving knowledge and faith in Jesus to spend eternity in holy relationship with Him. When God created humanity and angels, He wanted us to freely love and relate with Him out of our own choosing, out of our own free will. God knew the potential risks of creating angels and humans with free will. But to not give us a free will would be to create us with a predisposition to love him. And this would not be genuine love. It would be that we are simply programmed with our response to love him. So in his wisdom, he created angels and humans with free will. Additionally, he has given us all ample evidence of his love and that his desires are ever and only for our good. Beyond Jesus, God continues to woo us, to bring us into relationship with him. But just as some angels in heaven rejected God in preference of their own way, so will some humans. In reality, God does not send anyone to hell. We are given ample evidences of truth, and we have the sole choice of heaven or hell. By default, not to choose Jesus sentences a person to hell. Why? Well, it's as I explained before, ever since Adam and Eve, every person born ever since is born with a naturally dead, sinful condition that's at enmity with God. The only way we can make it into heaven is to realize that Jesus is our Redeemer, is our Savior, who can prevent us from going to hell if we will simply acknowledge Him for who He is and live our life with Him as Lord. The power of free will is tremendous. God has chosen to limit himself to not interfere with free will. While he will continue to seek to attract us, he will never override our free will choices. Therefore, the consequences or the benefits of our choices are up to us. God has proven that he is love. He has demonstrated his love for us extensively. Even the air we breathe is evidence he loves us. He has created all the elements of the world and the universe to provide for the sustenance of our very existence. Even so, not everyone will choose to place their faith in Jesus, even though they may know the truth of who he is. The Apostle Paul was one who vehemently rejected Jesus and even went about murdering those who professed Jesus as the Christ, believing he was serving God by eliminating these blasphemous people. But God went further and pursued Paul, whose name was then Saul, and created an encounter for Saul that forever changed his mind about the truth of Jesus. Again, referencing the words of the Apostle Paul, we read in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 to 32, I am not ashamed of the gospel, meaning the good news of Jesus Christ, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Greek. For the gospel reveals the righteousness of God that comes by faith from start to finish, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. 
For what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from his workmanship, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and darkened in their foolish hearts. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the images of mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over to their desires of their hearts, to impurity for the dishonoring of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who was forever worthy of praise. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to dishonorable passions. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. Likewise, the men abandoned natural relations with women and burned with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, he gave them up to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, greed, evil, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent new forms of evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, and merciless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things are worthy of death, they not only continue to do these things, but also approve of those who practice them. This passage in Romans is one of the saddest passages to read, but it is truth that we must understand. The gospel that the Apostle Paul says he's not ashamed of is the good news of Jesus Christ that has the power to transform us from natural-born enemies of God into a holy relationship with God for those who choose to be in relationship with him through faith in Christ. We are all born sinners and enemies with God. Therefore, it's only natural for us to live a sinful life. Unless we discover the truth of Jesus and choose to make him Lord of our life, we cannot be transformed by the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. Once transformed, however, by faith in Jesus, then we'll begin to discover more and more truth about what is right and what is wrong as we develop and practice our newfound faith in Jesus. God gives each and every one of us every opportunity to know him and place our faith in Jesus. And when we willfully continue to reject him, he will give us over to the desires of our own heart with the hopes we will despise the experience of our own willful choices and turn to him. To repent means simply to turn and agree with God. This is wonderfully illustrated with the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. In that story, the prodigal son experienced the consequences of his choices and returned to his father. Conversely, Pharaoh of Egypt, whom we read about in Exodus, exhausted his chances. He hardened his heart. And upon Pharaoh doing that, God no longer offered Pharaoh opportunities to repent. Pharaoh, like Satan, demonstrated he would never repent and seek relationship with God. With that, God responded he would not pursue relationship with Pharaoh. Jesus said in Matthew 10:33, But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father 
who is in heaven. The initiation of rejection is that of individuals according to their free will choice. Rejection is not initiated by God. Again, repentance is a word that simply means to turn from our own ways and turn to God in His ways. To repent of our own sinful ways and turn to God is evidence we've discovered truth, the truth about us, the truth about sin, the truth about Jesus, the second person of the triune God. There are those who are born again but choose to live their daily lives indulging their sinful nature. Then there are those who claim to be Christian, but it's in namesake only. They are not truly born again of the Spirit. What do I mean by born again? As I shared earlier, upon our natural birth, we are born sinners. Sin, which is to reject God, is a condition we are born with. At any point in our life when we become convinced of the truth of Jesus and we choose to place our faith in him as our Savior and Redeemer, we are then miraculously supernaturally transformed. The naturally sin-born dead spirit is replaced with a new, pure, holy spirit that has never before existed. We are made new creatures in Christ. And being given this new spirit is the process we call being born again. In addition, we are also given the deposit of the Holy Spirit to indwell us and to bring us more and more into all truth. Barna Research Group has conducted demographic research to understand what people believe. Among these studies, we learned that about 75% of Americans profess the Christian faith. Of these, 25% are Christian in namesake only, meaning they are not born again and they simply choose to associate with Christian ideals, not necessarily believing them. Another 25% are born again, but do not let the tenets of their faith dictate their daily lives. They remain living according to their sin natures and their lustful desires. The remaining 25% are born again and they seek to obey the teachings of Jesus in their everyday lives. However, within this last 25%, Bonner reports that only 7-9% to are actually successfully living the Christian life. 7-9%! to That's precious few people! With this reality, we could better understand why the church, meaning those who profess Christianity, doesn't seem to be any different or have any of the benefits, authority, or power that sets them apart from unbelievers. A vast majority of people have taken John 8.32 out of context. They hear, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And they like this promise, and with their intellectual understanding, Jesus is and was who he claimed to be, they believe this knowledge alone sets them free from the consequences of sin. They are deceived about truth. In context, John 8.31 reveals, Jesus said to the people who believed him, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. Knowing the truth is far different from abiding in the truth of Jesus' teachings. The word if in John 8.31 is another example of this truth. And this is something that the Lord had me understand many years ago. Quote, God's love is unconditional, but his promises aren't. Let me repeat that. God's love is unconditional, but his promises aren't. There's nothing we can ever do to earn God's love. There's nothing we can ever do to extricate or remove God's love. God loves us regardless. He loves us when we are sinners who do not know him, and he loves us once we come to know him. However, there's a vast difference between love and approval. 
The way we gain God's approval is to live our lives with faith in Christ consistent with Jesus' teachings. When we satisfy these conditions, then we enjoy the benefits of God's promises. Discovering and living in life-giving truth is what I am passionate to help others do. I know what life is like without Christ and what it's like with Him. I know what life is like to merely associate with the Christian ideals and what it's like to actually live them. And with this podcast, I hope to convince you to be all in. If we want to experience the abundant, victorious life Christ died to give us, then we must live according to his instructions. Anyone who sees Christ's instructions for living as restrictive and unenjoyable is still deceived in this particular area of understanding and will not experience the victorious joy available through an intentional faith in Jesus. My bonus for you this week is a white sheet from me about the five essentials of the Christian faith. To be a Christian is to believe in these five essential truths. Anyone, regardless of denomination, who believes these five truths can be assured they have discovered truth. You will find the link to the white sheet on my show notes. Also, if you're interested in learning more about God's supernatural gifts available to us today and how to position yourself to be a vessel through whom God can work, I recommend my book, Renew Your Hope, Remedy for Personal Breakthroughs. I'll have a link and a discount code for you in the show notes for you to use with purchase through my website. While you certainly can purchase my books and find them in all Christian retails online and in stores, when you purchase through my store, your financial support better helps my ministry. Next week, we'll continue exploring the topic of discovering truth from the perspective of the rampant deception in the world today. We need only look at the events in this year, 2020, to realize the devil is alive and well, wreaking havoc on our culture. How are all the lies being perpetrated in our culture? What is the truth about racism in our culture? Where is the church and the restraining power of the Holy Spirit in these days? Well, to help us better understand these questions and more, David Barton, founder of Wall Builders, LLC, will be joining me next week. You won't want to miss this program. Part 2 of Discovering Truth Faith to Live By is a division of Pamela Christian Ministries, LLC, a ministry that began in 1997 and has grown to offer many different goods and services. I have my multi-award-winning Faith to Live By book series, our travel division, my speaking and teaching ministry, my award-winning blog, and more. I invite you to visit my main website, PamelaChristianMinistries.com. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your review helps the show reach more people and spread the gospel, and for people to learn how to best apply their Christian faith. Be sure to follow me on Facebook at Faith to Live by TV, on Twitter at PL Christian, and on LinkedIn at Pamela Christian. If you'd like to be one of my insiders, subscribe to my complimentary bi-monthly e-newsletter. I offer you your choice of a free gift in appreciation of your subscription. And lastly, visit my page for this show at faithtoliveby.com to enjoy all of the products and broadcasts we've produced for this podcast, Faith to Live By. I hope you'll join me next week and tell your friends and family to listen right here on Faith to Live By, where we learn how to gain spiritual victory over life's issues. Until next week, I'm Pam Christian, asking you to remember, Christ died for us. The least we can do is live for Him.